Hello there and welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast as we continue our uh, commitment to going back over all of the titles released in the last couple of months in comics. Obviously we fell a little bit behind in our review show but we are determined to make sure we spotlight those titles we've enjoyed along the way. So we're going to be covering tonight titles released uh, in three new comic book days, the 1st of September, the 8th of September and the 15th of September. Your host as always, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening, sir. How are you? I am all right. Little, little tired, a uh, little, little run off my feet uh, lately. They, they don't tell you, um, you know, the, whenever you buy a house, they, everybody says, congratulations, oh great, hope you're very happy with it, you know, health to enjoy. They don't tell you how busy and overwhelmed you're also going to feel. <laughs> as you try and get bits and pieces done so uh, in addition to the to the daily grind of work and so forth and so on but uh yeah i'm good i'm good i cannot complain i cannot complain for the first time in many many weeks in fact since august i am reading books that were released i'm, I'm reading books that i'm reading them in the in the week they were released uh, you know, rather than two or three weeks after they were released. So I'm doing well. I'm catching up. Well, that's an impressive uh, commitment to catching up. It has to be said, certainly given the size of said pull list. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I know New Comic Book Day is tomorrow, so I'm not going to get totally through last week's pull list, but at least I'm there or thereabouts. Ah, them's, them's quitting words. I reckon you could get through it all tonight. Keep yourself up to two in the morning, no problem. <laughs> I'm going to be in bed as soon as we finish recording, so I don't think that's going to happen. Well, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 5th of October. It was uh, quite the interesting day for us. Uh, we've had a couple of weeks in a row, if you follow the store on social media or through YouTube or, or whatever else, but had a few delivery issues and bits and pieces, you know, damaged issues. This week, nothing was damaged, but it didn't arrive until 3 p.m. on a Tuesday as opposed to, you know, 10 a.m. on a Monday. I was getting so used to that, but ballists are all done anyway and they're all ready to go. So uh, they, they did, of course, you know, still pull off a great diamond moment of sending 3,000 Silver Age bags instead of 3,000 <laughs> current bags, but... In the grand scheme of things, that's an easy enough fix, hopefully, so uh, I can't complain too much, but yeah, no, we're doing good, you know, busy start to the week, you know, uh, Vic and I have been actually enjoying the cinema a lot the last couple of nights, we went to see Bond on uh, Sunday, uh, which was really, really good, no time to die, I'm not a huge Daniel Craig guy, I love Casino Royale, the rest of the movies I sort of take them or leave them, but I thought this was excellent, big and epic and a really fitting end to his... Uh, to his run and it actually made his movies feel very self-contained there are some nods to previous bond movies but this is very much a almost like a five movie arc so maybe i'll go back and appreciate those other ones a little bit more but uh, i know you're a bond fan surely yourself is uh you have to see it soon yeah fair, fair weather bond fan me um i mean i enjoyed enjoyed casino royale and quantum of Souls, which were effectively one movie uh really they were just one one continuous uh, narrative um, Skyfall was a wee bit I don't recall enjoying it uh, terrible terribly was it it was when was Javier one? Bardem was the bad guy yeah it, uh, and there's something his, his jaw was missing or something wasn't it yeah yeah it started uh, it started slipping back into the uh, sort of cheesy um, I guess gadgets and you know the, the promise of of uh, of Daniel Craig was the blunt instrument was very much in the you know what whenever the Bourne movies come out they made 
the, the Bond movies look dated, really. You know, and, and, and the promise of Daniel Craig was they were moving away from that Pierce Brosnan sort of, by the time the word is not enough came out, that was a pastiche of itself. Um, and it started moving that way a wee bit, I think. And then I think Spectre even more so. So I don't know that I was particularly invested by that stage. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go and see it for the for, for what's in it. And, you know, the excuse to go to the cinema, for sure. I think uh, I think Daniel Craig is is done done now. I mean, he doesn't even want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's definitely had the movies wrapped up in a way where, you know, I, I think that he can walk away at this point and be sort of happy with what he's done. And, and it's interesting because he was actually Bond for 15 years. I think Casino Royale came out in 2006. So mm-hmm. it's actually a longer period than you'd think. But no, really, really enjoyed it. And then uh, we went to cinema last night. I don't think this is one I could talk you into, but went to see the Oasis Nebworth documentary, which was just absolutely stunning for a long-time Oasis fan like myself. But oh, I don't doubt it. Fantastic. Like, like any music uh, documentary, I think it's all about if, if you like the artists, you'll love the documentary because you're clearly interested in them and their music. If you don't like the artists or their music, you're probably not going to enjoy it very much. Yeah, well, that but, seems fair, yeah. But I dug it, I have to say, whereas uh, I've been catching up on movies. I'm massively behind in all my TV watching, but you're here to tell me all the great stuff that I'm missing at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Um, I know you're not. I mean, I'm, I'm still surprised, Alan, you, you haven't tuned in to Why the Last Man yet. Are you frightened? Is that what it is? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. I'll get there. That. I'll get there. That. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good. Um. I've watched the first four episodes now. They were they released the first three together, and then uh, they've released a, a further episode uh, beyond that. Uh, I think the actor, the actor that's playing Yorick, is really well chosen. Uh, the actress that's playing Three Five Five is phenomenal. Um, See, that was so always yeah. the strongest role in the books for me. I always knew that whoever got that role, they'd knock it out of the park. Yeah, and th- they had to, you know. So and and is doing so really in a in that sort of totally badass but slightly vulnerable sort of way um they they certainly have uh changed a couple of the storylines uh story threads in it uh i think at this stage you know there's there's one storyline in the book that i know you're very well i know you're very familiar with why the last man up being your favorite favorite comic book uh regarding that 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 could be considered quite critical of israel and uh an american tv show you know, a mainstream American TV show is not going to be critical of Israel, uh, so that seems to be gone. Um, and they've they've brought it a wee bit up to date, uh, the hero storyline a wee bit up to date. Um, I guess whenever this was written, um, I guess the you know the sort of the trans trans rights and such weren't such a such a massive and uh, a growing issue. In the world, and so they've they've sort of addressed that a wee bit in a way that it maybe wasn't addressed in the book. But uh, yeah, really enjoying it. I think you have nothing to fear because uh, <laughs> you were kind enough to lend me the books, and I really really enjoyed them as well. Uh, so yeah, I think there's uh, I think yeah yeah, and uh, and of course Amber Sand is just played fantastically by <laughs> Monkey. Most importantly, <laughs> most importantly, yeah. I mean, I've I've no doubt I'll sink my teeth into it at some point. As you say, there's always just that slight wariness, but it's always good if people whose opinions you trust uh, are are singing its praises. So uh, that that makes me feel a little bit more secure in going into it. Ah, good. I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear. Um, what if is very very good as well. Uh, there was a wee bit of complaint about 
uh, week before last episode has been a wee bit lighthearted. I quite enjoyed it. Um, you know, again, what if all about, you know, how these minor differences can can make a huge, you know, the ripples of which can make a huge difference in, in, the, in the, the world. And, of course, the what if, where the, the what if comic addressed the Marvel Universe, the, the series is addressed in the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but this recent episode really made up for it. They went a wee bit meta in it, uh, and they, they've obviously... Where each episode has apparently been separate and salt and contained, they have started making a wee bit of a narrative here that I think is going to cut across the remaining episodes of the of the season, uh, which is really interesting because I don't believe it's something they they did too much in, in the What If comic. Uh, so you know, uh, although the Watcher provides the, the the commentary, you know, the meta commentary to each of the episodes, there's that yeah, they did they sort of. It's not, it wasn't breaking the fourth wall, but if you think about the Watchers, the narrator, then maybe it was sort of breaking the fourth wall. I don't know. I don't know which wall that... There was definitely a wall broken. Uh, you know, but, and, and I think there'd be a continuing narrative as, as a result. And uh, The Walking Dead is in its final season. Um, it's about five or six episodes in. I'm really enjoying it. Really, you know, back on the horse. I do I do wonder at the wisdom of having continued the show after after Rick was gone. Um and certainly it's a slightly different show, but uh, and I'm glad that this is the last season, but I'm enjoying the last season more than I thought I was going to. Uh, Negan's a, a major character, and uh, of course, Jeffrey Jean Morgan's a fantastic actor, so I'm very much enjoying that. Yeah, I mean, again, we're just a few uh, episodes behind on it, so I have no doubt that we will get caught up. Because again, you've sunk this much this much time and energy into it, but I suppose this is probably the first time they've had complete freedom to do whatever they want, Walking Dead-wise, because of the time jump and different characters that aren't in it. This is probably the most... Would you say this is the most different from the comic it's ever been then? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would, I mean, they, they are pulling on storylines, for sure, uh, that existed in the comics earlier that they, they didn't maybe follow but uh yeah i would say i would say that would be that would be right alan it's definitely as as, as separated as it's as it's been or is going to be yeah no that's cool yeah as i say we'll definitely get caught up on it no doubt we'll jump into why at some point and and then the same game what if again i've, I've talked about it before just because it's a little bit less consequential to the future of the mcu i've maybe just held back on it a little bit but uh i'll definitely jump into it at some point and probably just burn through mm -hmm. the whole series probably in one go i would say uh Honestly, I'm not sure how accurate that statement is um, with regard to how consequential it is or is not to the MCU, uh, especially given what's coming up, you know, with the new Spider-Man movie and uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and all of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the importance of it remains to be seen, but it's certainly connected. Yeah, so maybe I do need to get onto it sooner rather than later. <laughs> I don't know, maybe just people have been talking about it less. Is, is that fair? I mean... I don't know, maybe there was just a lot of mystery around WandaVision, there was a lot of mystery around Loki, it just, maybe it's just because I haven't watched and therefore I'm not engaging more, but uh, it just seems like there's been less chatter around it, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, uh, could, could be, could be, I mean, uh, our, uh, we've got a, we've got a separate chat group uh, from the main Coffee and Heroes chat. Uh, <gasps> about... You are in other chats. <laughs> I'm in other chats, Alvin, um, that has switched from you know, WandaVision to Falcon, Falcon and Winter Soldier to Loki to what if. Mm -hmm. um, so, but there's not, there's not an awful lot of chat, I, I guess. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to hockey. That looks great. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So definitely something to look forward to. And another thing to look forward to, I see DC Fandom is back with us in a couple of weeks. This was uh, the, the DC and Warner Brothers um, 
event that was run last year for the first time, obviously as a result of you know lockdown and COVID uh, coming into our world, and it was a, a virtual uh, event that basically showcased a lot of upcoming stuff uh, from the world of movies, television, gaming, comics, a little bit of everything, but. Uh, it's coming back again for another 24 hours, October 16th, so less than two weeks away, actually. Uh, and it's going to be showing off stuff from the Batman. It's going to be showing off stuff from Black Adam, The Flash, Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom, Shazam, Fury of the Gods. There's going to be a little look at some of the stuff based on the Brian Michael Bendis Wonder comics that are being adapted, things like Naomi. Uh, there's going to be some new comic stuff. There's going to be... Just, just a lot of cool, cool stuff. I mean, I really, really enjoyed DC Fandom last year. I think I sat and watched about 20 hours of it straight, uh, not realizing that it was going to be repeated and repeated. Right. Uh, I must have watched that, the Batman trailer, about 100 times, I think. It, it changed <laughs> a lot of people's perceptions on that movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and of course we had Zack Snyder's Justice League. You thought I'd never mention that movie again. Uh, I, it had to be brought in somewhere. But uh, no, it was a really uh, cool event. It was a really cool event. Uh, there actually is a cross a cross channel there between uh, that Zack Snyder mess and uh, Why the Last Man, and that uh, the the lovely lady that played uh, Martha Kent um, is the president, Yorick's mother. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose she's a senator at the start, but president before too long. Yeah. Well, uh, any excuse to bring up you know Justice League again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just to see your face yeah yeah but yeah keep an eye for dc fandom yeah it was a lot of fun last year and again there'll be some really cool stuff to to catch up on and discuss this year as well so but uh we're gonna jump into the review section of the pod simply because we have a lot of titles to get through so as i said in the in, in the interim uh or in the introduction i should say we are going to be covering three different weeks uh we're going to be doing sort of our Quick picks, rapid fire reviews, if you will, which will always be spoiler free or as much as possible spoiler free. And then we'll each have a pick of the week for each week. We'll go into in a little bit more detail as well. So kicking things off on the 1st of September. And this week uh, I had 19 titles in total. So uh, just the five DC titles. I had three Marvel titles. And as ever, Indy won out for me with 11 titles. Um, what were your numbers this week? Uh, I had 21 titles, so I think I was a couple ahead of you. Um, three of them were DC, six of them were Marvel, 12 of them were indie, and then there was the five free comic book day titles that I picked up that week, uh, none of which are appearing on uh, on my picks, uh, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, free comic book day is an odd one for us, and it's something I'll come to a little bit later when I'm discussing uh, a Batman issue, but free comic book day is always a, a, an event I think it's more to bring in new readers than it is to not reward consistent readers, but we we don't want to read eight pages of a preview of a book we're already going to be on anyway. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the books that appeal to us are probably books that we're going to be on anyway. Now, the main one I can think that I enjoyed was Enter the House of Slaughter, which of course was uh, a preview of the upcoming Something to Skill the Children spinoff. So I enjoyed that. Totally agree, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the Batman Fear State one, but again, I'll come to that in a bit when we mm -hmm. when we chat about a Batman issue. I know what you're going to say. I, you know it. Um, so yeah, there was there was good stuff there, but I think it's more to bring in casual readers because they're maybe, they're, they're putting less into it in a bit of a way. You know, they're getting to sort of sample these comics without sort of committing to whether they want to get into them, so to speak. Whereas, let's be honest, we look at the previews books, we know what we're looking forward to, we know what we're going to be on, and... A free comic book title probably isn't going to change our minds unless we read it and it's absolutely <laughs> terrible so uh, i can understand the reason why it's not down as any of the 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 quick picks so 
Great. And uh, I'm talking about the quick picks just to lay out the uh, the rules of our uh, rapid fire reviews as we valiantly try to get up to date with ourselves. Um, so we're going to go through a number of quick picks. We're limiting ourselves to about 30 seconds on each of the quick picks, followed by a pick of the week each, which we're sitting at about sort of two minutes or so on that, just to try and, and burn through these babies while we can. Yeah, picks of the week will be longer than two minutes, I'll pre-warn you now. But anyway, the quick picks, we will kick things off, though. And uh, yeah, for the quick picks this week, we obviously have our format and stuff. There's a nice mix of stuff, some DC, some Marvel, some indie. The first one I wanted to throw out uh, a bit of attention for was Demon Days Cursed Web number one. So this is written and drawn by Peach Momoko. And for me, this was another home run for this series of... They're kind of a series of one-shots, but they do have one character going through them. But every issue deals with different characters within the Marvel Universe. And it essentially melds together ancient Japanese mythology with current-day Marvel mythology. In this issue, we have a reimagine of Sabretooth and Mystique, as well as Black Widow, as our, our protagonist Mariko continues on her journey. I think this continues to be a really whimsical, cool journey through the Marvel Universe. And the art style really complements the story I... I find with Peach Momoko, she can be a little bit take it or leave it. Uh, some of her covers are fantastic. Some of them are just not my cup of tea. But she has found the perfect story with this to match her art with all those sort of Japanese mythology elements. So really, really highly recommend it. When it hits trade, if you have missed out on it, I really recommend jumping on it for just a really well-told story. One, I haven't been picking up the Demon Days stuff, but uh, I, maybe, I maybe will do just that. Um, first up for me is uh, no uh, no stranger to these particular reviews, The Old Guard, Tales Through Time number five. Uh, we have a double bill uh, of tales of Sebastian Livra, a.k.a. Book or Booker. Uh, stories that both look fantastic. Both of the stories look fantastic. And the first is by Jason Arian and Raphael Albuquerque. It's equal parts great dialogue and wry humor as Booker. Lost, drunk, and alone in 70s New York is kidnapped by this uh, cult of nuns. Three months later, Andy travels to Guyana to rescue him, only to find he doesn't really want to be rescued. And the best line in, the, in, the, in that story, Andy, do you believe in God? She says, you have at least some idea of how old I am, but believe me when I say I was around when most of those stories were made up, and I've sure never seen any gods. The second story is also a book story. He takes his guests for a meal in one of those newfangled things called restaurants in post-revolution Paris. Things take a turn for the worst, uh, but we're rewarded with a poignant revelation that the guest is Book's baby boy, aware of his secret, and almost the same apparent age as his father, and we know the tragedy of how that eventually goes, so uh, a particularly poignant moment. Um, this is a six-issue book, uh, so this is the second last issue. Yeah, I've been enjoying that myself. You can't go wrong with a little bit of old garden, that sort of extra... Those extra stories adding to the mythology of that world are, are definitely most welcome before uh, we have Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez come back with the, the third proper volume, which is probably mm -hmm. not too far away. So next up for me is The Many Deaths of Lila Starr. You may have heard oh, us talk about yes. this book before, probably every single issue. <laughs> uh, yeah, written by Ram V, art by Felipe Andrade, you know... I sort of made a note that for this series, sort of just like life itself, this is a series that's bittersweet because it feels way too short. But at the same time, it manages to pack a massive amount into it and is exceptionally fulfilling. You know, it's this is title of the year territory for me. And the only reason mm -hmm. it's not my pick of the week is because I do not want to go into spoilers for the last issue. 
Uh, and also because I, I've mentioned this to Keith before, I see this being a... We're, we're hoping at some point to get the, the book club podcast up and going again, and this is definitely one for that. So it's not too far away from trade. I believe it's due out this November. Suffice to say, keep an eye out for the release of it. You will not want to miss it. This is a genuinely, a truly special book. So good. So good. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Couldn't agree more, Alan. And uh, yes, on that book club. <laughs> Excellent. So why don't you throw another wee indie one then? Uh, we've got uh, Dark Blood number two. I think it's a boom title, isn't it? It is indeed, uh, yeah. Uh, so this was an improvement on what was an intriguing first issue. It's very emotionally powerful and reflective of the the time and the racist attitudes of the American South in the 50s, uh, with the writer helping us to find dignity in World War II veteran Avery Aldrich's struggle with it as he and his family try to build a life as, as, uh, as black residents of the South. The superheroic mystery of the variance that's been built in and around this time period and that 10 years before during AA's service as a pilot is compelling and I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Latoya Morgan is the writer. She's building and showcasing a rich word that's beautifully illustrated by Walt Barna and Moises Hidalgo. Yeah, I'm on this one myself and enjoying the first couple of issues as well. Uh, I'm going to jump away from that into the world of DC uh, with the really really badly titled batman superman 2021 annual number one that's just how dc how dc have labeled their annuals is terrible to be honest uh but anyway uh this is written by gene lun yang who of course took over batman superman from joshua williamson and the art in this one is shared by two different artists which are francesco francovia and paul pelletier and for me this was a fitting end to yang's main story arc in batman and superman so you basically had five issues and then this annual and then there's going to be one issue that's actually released this week to finish off batman superman that's the end of the run you know this was just a good old-fashioned solid adventure story but it also had the twist of one story being told from the front and then what you do is you flip the book and the other story starts from the other side and the two stories meet in the middle you know you could just you could pick this up and enjoy it on its own as any good annual should always allow you to but there's certainly nods to what came before I'm a huge fan of Francesco Francavia, so uh, I was actually really happy to see Francavia was drawing the Superman portion of the story because he's traditionally a Batman artist. And there's one splash page in particular when Superman is floating into a giant searchlight is absolutely glorious. Just really good old-fashioned storytelling, hugely entertaining, great art. It's it's worth it even if you're just a fan of Batman and Superman. You don't really need to have read what came before, but yeah, I really, really dug this. And again, I love the clever device of you know, starting at one end of the comics, starting at the other, and the meeting in the middle. So very, very I clever. Uh, I don't think I've seen a flip book since uh, the life theft portion of the Clone Saga. Jeez. Uh, back and those were all flip books. It was crazy. Um, so they were they were doing starting one story on one side, and one story on the other side. So you had, yeah, it was it was kind of a mess, but it was fun. Uh, <laughs> anyway. um, so for another one from Boom Studios, for me, it's June House of Trades number nine. Uh, Kevin Herbert and sorry Brian Herbert and Kevin J Anderson adapting and uh, Dev Pramanik on the on the art and I mean it's a brilliant and brilliant looking ninth issue of this prequel series to June really anticipating the movie now the strongest issue I would say of this series to date is fast paced action and political intrigue jumping from planet to planet and it's absolutely seamless in this issue you don't feel overwhelmed or confused by the twisting and long plots as they slowly start to converge towards what's going to be a rewarding crescendo it's not one to be picking up at this stage you'd be totally lost but if you've been 
picking this up since number one, I've no doubt you're enjoying it, and otherwise, uh, wait for the trade to enjoy it. And uh, that movie is getting closer and closer for you, finally, after what oh, seems oh, like oh, an eternity oh. of waiting. Yes, quite, quite looking forward to it. And another excuse to get to the cinema again with uh, mm-hmm. June hitting soon. Uh, the last one I'm going to throw out for the quick picks section is Geiger number six, which is written by Jeff Johns, art by Gary Frank. And so the first arc comes to an end. And, and to be honest, with the prior knowledge that this will be a continuing series, this did not end in the way I anticipated. The series began with, you know, two men sitting in a crater with one man telling the other the story of just what happened there. And Geiger issue six brings that tale to a close. But it also sets some really interesting looking foundations for the future. Uh, and this universe is definitely going to be expanded. You know, with Geiger itself, for me, it's been one of the best-looking books in the shelves pretty much since issue one, and that run continues here with Frank's amazing art and Brad Anderson's colors. Mentioned also for Rob Lee's lettering, which uh, is really, really great as well. So if you're looking at getting into the world of Geiger, as I say, this world is going to explode, which is a terrible pun, but uh, it, there's a trade. Going to go nuclear? It is going to be. You're, you're not. You are definitely right. Um, yeah, but it's the trade paperback is actually coming out in November, uh, as will an 80 page giant, which will no doubt set the path for where Geiger goes next. This is this is definitely worth jumping on and, and catching up on as well, I would say. Um, this was a chunky one, too, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, Geiger, every issue's felt chunky to me. And, oh. you know, it's interesting. We were talking a little bit before we came on about uh, a story where there's a bit of a paper shortage, perhaps, in the world that could affect the comic industry. And Image just keep putting out these beautiful books with sort of thicker paper and cardstock covers and still keeping their, their prices as low as they do. Walking Dead Deluxe is another example of it as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and I think it just really adds to that premium feel of the book. So, yeah, really dug the series and looking forward to seeing where it goes next. Yeah, same here. Enjoying it. Enjoying the, the, the expanding universe. Um, one that I realize I'm probably stealing from under your nose, Alan, so I hope it do you justice. Uh, from DC, Batman Fear State Alpha number one. Uh, it's kicking off earlier, the, the, the earlier than expected finale of uh, Tinian 4's run on Batman with beautiful art by Ricardo Frederici. Um Definitely sad to see Tinian leaving, but he's clearly gone out with a bang and it seems he's set and taken Gotham City with him when he does. Uh, the issue, I think, you know, it's the alpha issue of a, a larger event and a crossover. It does a great job of putting all the players in place and hooking the reader as the first part of any good event needs to. Uh, story fills in some very deliberate blanks in the lead-up so far. There's a conversation between Simon Saint and Jonathan Crane months ago that sheds light on the fear state theory and the seeming partnership, which quickly sees Saint having wildly underestimated Crane. You know, with this story, I think, already elevating Scarecrow amongst Batman's rogues gallery. Additionally, we begin to see how Bruce ended up in Scarecrow's clutches and, and the results of that as we've seen in the months that build up to the story. And meanwhile, Mernicano slowly realizes the mistake that he's been made, been making and politically being politically seduced by the, the magistrate. I'm interested to see where Commissioner Montoya, the former question, falls on this. Um, comprehensive overview of all the previous storylines without causing any upset or, or, or lag behind in the storyteller. And I think if new readers pick this up, they'd be following along quite handily. Very expansive first chapter, sets the stage for what's going to be a, a multi-series, multi-part crossover event. And uh, Tinian does an excellent job of crafting all those narratives into one really cohesive story. 
Yeah, I think this is going to be a really great event. I mean, obviously, we're, we're reviewing titles from a few weeks ago. There's been a few tie-ins that have come out since. The Catwoman tie-in, the Nightwing tie-in. And they've tied in quite effortlessly to it while also adding to the overall story. So, But yeah, Fierce at Alpha I thought was great. I'm a big fan of Ricardo Federici's art. And it's not often that he actually does interiors. More of a cover artist these days. And I thought the art through this was superb. But you, you may hear a little bit more about Batman Fierce State in one way or another throughout the rest of this podcast. But we'll get to that in due course. So yeah, great choice there. So yeah, those are pretty much the quick picks and we will finish off the 1st of September with our pick of the week and I will go first for this one, Shock and Indeed Horror, as my pick of the week <laughs> is written by Tom Taylor. Uh, we recently had a Coffee and Heroes podcast bingo card sent to us uh, <laughs> through email from a, a regular listener. Was first, class. <laughs> first of all, many thanks to uh, many thanks for all the effort that went to for that, uh, I have to say, but... It was really, really funny. There were so many things I couldn't really argue or deny any of them, to be honest. And uh, I'm pretty sure that on that uh, bingo card was exactly the fact that Tom Taylor gets picked every single time. But there's a reason for that. So yeah, the, my pick of the week is Dark Ages number one. So written by Tom Taylor, art by Iban Coelho. Um, so yeah, I'm not focused on his India DC work for a change, but his actual return to Marvel for this event. You know, he's... Tom Taylor's already done, of course, stellar work for Marvel before, most notably for me and Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, but I know Vicky's a huge, huge fan of his all-new Wolverine run as well. But, you know, this is this is a chance for him to shine a light, or indeed take that light away from, I suppose, the entire Marvel universe and every character in it. You know, here he's paired up with the excellent art of Iban Quello. You know, I'm and I'm happy to report there's so much to enjoy here, and as always. One of Tom Taylor's strengths is he makes it really accessible to readers with little or or no prior knowledge even of the Marvel Universe. You know, do you know the basics of these characters? That's enough. Come on in. Everyone is welcome. And, you know, that combined with the fact that when Tom Taylor is... The one thing I would say about him as a writer is he will never be a writer in continuity. Well, I say that, but he's doing it with Nightwing. But in general, he loves to have the freedom to do whatever he wants with these characters. He's shown it with Deceased. Uh, he's shown it with Injustice. Um, you know, it, when he's got his own sort of single line narrative, that's where he's at his strongest because he's never shy to kill off characters, both providing shock value for the reader, but also letting you know early on that there are consequences and that not everyone may survive a threat of this scale. You know, I don't want to go into too many specifics as there are shocks and surprises aplenty in the first issue, as well as one page turn that almost had me in tears involving Spider-Man. You know, Taylor may have been capable of doing that to me before. Uh, but yeah, so the blurb for Dark Ages goes, you know, a danger older than Earth threatens everything. For once, the heroes who have saved the planet so many times are almost powerless in the face of it. X-Men and Avengers assemble. Spider-People and Fantastic Four come together. Heroes for Hire fight alongside champions. None of it will be enough. The lights are about to go out. The world outside our window is about to end. You know, this is this has been a long time in the making because we're, we were just chatting about this year's free comic book day. But last year's free comic book day actually had a preview of this title. So it sort of shows how long it's been held back. Uh, you know, I'm all in on this. You know, the artwork feels big and epic. There's so many places for the story to go. You know, so many opportunities for heroes and villains to unite for, you know, the greater good, Jan skill battles to come. And of course, there'll be plenty of humor to be found among the darkness as well, because that's the the other thing that Taylor probably writes better than any other comic creator around at the moment. It'll also contain plenty of hope so yeah mm -hmm. brilliant first issue what about yourself would you think of this one 
yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, separated from continuity as it is, you sometimes worry about the stakes or the lack of stakes. But you know, Tom Taylor just characterizes so well that you know you recognize the, the characters that you know, despite the the non continuity, non canon, not well, non non canon, but non continuity nature of the thing. Um, so yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I know exactly what the, the page turn you're talking about is, and you know, <laughs> Tom Taylor remains the writer with. The ability just to, to either rip your heart out or or massage it back to life yeah he definitely has the, those all of those skills and more so uh so yeah so thank you to andrew corbett who put together that bingo card you can mark off your tom taylor mention for this specific podcast you may be able to mark off another bingo element when we get the case pick <laughs> which is from image comics firepower 15 um so the the serpent's Omen storyline is really kicking up a gear in another fantastic issue of Robert Kirkman and Chris Samney's Firepower. The mysterious serpent's omen has struck Owen's family at home in the US, but luckily Ling Zan, Owen's former love from the Flaming Fist Temple back in the day, as in the, the original graphic novel that started this all off, anticipated that danger and is on hand to, to help at the same time revealing herself to Owen's wife Kelly, who had thought Owen's lost love to be dead, a point recently discovered by Owen himself, but that he failed to mention to his good lady wife. And I mean, it's a, a mistake smart, I could easily... Smart man, smart man. <laughs> it's, it's a mistake I could easily have seen myself making in the past for exactly the same understandable reasons that Owen did. Um, anyway, with Ling Zan being in the US, she's not with the Scorched Earth clan and has no idea that the clan, including her father, the mighty Chen Zul, has been possessed by the snakes of the serpent's omen. I think the way Kirkman handles Kelly's reaction to the reveal of Ling Zan being alive is beautiful. The interplay between the two women is brilliant and the family element, Kelly's pragmatism in the face of Owen's mistake and their, the depiction of their emotional yet mature decision born out of a trusting, loving relationship is my favorite part of this issue. It's it's just so good. It's so true to life. It's not the like melodrama you you, you expect. You know that would have been easy and lazy. Um, it's just class. Um, so Ling Zan makes a call home, uh, and sets herself Owen and Kelly off after a tearful goodbye on another adventure, leaving the frustrated children. Uh, Haley, the daughter, has just figured out how to use, if not control, the firepower. So that their children are left in the care of Owen's folks and Kelly's cop partner and secret Wei Lun student, Reggie. And meanwhile, at the Temple of the Flaming Fist, Wei Lun and Ma Guang are attacked by another snake which momentarily possesses Ma Guang before Wei Lun snatches it off. And even the, the way that Samney has drawn Wei Lun snatching the snake off, you know, Wei Lun's fingers are in like a nearly like a cobra strike. Uh, formation it's just it's so so kung fu cool <laughs> so he, he snatches the snake off and then he bites its head off it is just cool as and you know and then you know we're left with a cliffhanger you know are we looking at another attack on the temple of the flaming fist this time maybe by the serpent's omen possessed scorch earth clan this is just class <laughs> i mean that's just unbelievable it, it circles around it it refers to the the earlier earlier stuff that's happened and the cliffhanger from the 
the end of the last arc, but it's going to be completely different. And then, of course, RC Coda, the, the conversation between Robert Kirkman and, and Chris Samney at the end is always always really interesting. But yeah, this was great. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a title that's just remarkably consistent. I mean, we should never be surprised. Kirkman knows how to spin a yarn. He knows he knows how to create great characters. He knows how to have every character sounding different. Uh, and yeah, as you say, he never really gets wrapped up in melodrama. I mean, I'm noticing that as well, rereading through The Walking Dead. And uh, with a different writer, it could have been bogged down in melodramatic elements, but it never feels like that. It, it feels mm. like very natural reactions to things. And Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think certainly more so in the later issues. You know, these earlier issues, you're, you're looking at, you know, young Robert Kirkman of 10 to 12 years ago, you know, uh, more even, uh, you know, as he was a budding writer. But yeah, there, you can see that you can see the seeds of that. Of yeah. what, will, what will turn into this there even that early i think you're right i think he enjoys the, the interplay and the, and the interactions and i think as well he just loves sharing sort of the behind the scenes stuff with comic fans as well i mean you look at that in the walking dead deluxe you always get the cutting room floor elements at the back you look at fire Power, you always get the rc coda you know where it's always him and chris samney sit down it always seems to be uh the conversation goes along the lines of here you go chris here's a page with three lines of dialogue chris damn you robert that took me four weeks to draw yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the interplay between them, and also when they have you know guests on it as well as they did before, it uh, always adds to. But yeah, Fire Park continues to be brilliant. I mean, it's yeah, it's fifteen issues in single issue wise, but it's three volumes deep at the moment due to that prelude graphic novel, and and it's very very quickly become a staple of the store, always on the shelves. So uh, if you're not on Fire Park, you need to look at yourself in the mirror. And uh, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, I mean, it, it, the fact that that issue came out the the same week that I got a chance to start teaching karate again after almost two years uh was uh you know so i was feeling martial arts pumped uh you know so very very cool stuff excellent so that that brings it end to the first of september then so my pick of the week for that week dark ages number one and for keith it was fire power number 15 so we'll ramble straight along then and into the 8th of september so a bigger week for me with this one certainly uh this week my total hit 27 which were 10 DC books, 5 Marvel books, and 12 indie books. And what about yourself? 22 titles for me, so staying fairly constant. Uh, 5 DC, 9 Marvel, 8 indie, and so fairly, fairly balanced across the board. Fairly balanced indeed, but we're going to kick things off with a couple of DC books, and and you'll kick things off with another book that is just uh, going by a bit too quickly for our liking. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean... Swamp Thing number seven uh, by Ram V and uh, Mike Perkins. Just every issue of this just gets better and better. And this was absolutely no exception. Best issue of the lot so far. And it, it is coming to an end very, very quick with uh, it being a, a 10 issue uh, series. But if you listen to our interview with Ram, there is a there is a possibility. There is hope. But this is a, a perfect issue. And it's also a critical piece of the puzzle that is uh, Levi Kamai, the current the current swamp thing. Uh, so we have uh, we have the the, the, the folks of uh, uh, what do you call them, Task Force X, uh, coming after Swamp Thing and quickly realizing they are out of their depth, deep in the forests of Kazaranga, where the new Swamp Thing was born. So Levi's learning more and more about the green, and through that, we learn about how he became uh, the Swamp Thing as the trees of uh, of, of Kazaranga bequeath him their knowledge, including. The argument that he that he had his fam you know he had with his family about trying to do a good thing, but realizing that he he was doing a terrible thing for 
not only this woodland but the, the culture and, and 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 tearing apart his own family it's some of the some of the writing and some of the tools they use in here to tell those stories are are absolutely phenomenal but this is racing towards a brilliant conclusion i do not want this to end and you know there's there's horror that stalks it all the way through as well and 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 it it's a very very human story you know with the use swamp thing to, to help us look at our own humanity and our own feelings and successes and, and, and traumas and scars very very cool and, and never never preachy i don't think no not at all just really excellent storytelling and you know, just at its surface level, it's great. It's a great yarn to follow, but there's always deeper levels. Certainly, always with Swamp Thing, he's always been one of those characters that you can, you know, discuss real world issues within as well. So, you know, if you're a little bit behind in Swamp Thing, as Keith says, this is a ten issue mini series, but they're gonna split it into two volumes. But what that's gonna do is the first volume's due out in the middle of November. It's called Becoming, and it's gonna have the first four issues. But before the first four issues, it's also going to have those two future state issues that were were rather excellent. Same creative team as well with that one. So from one number seven from DC to another number seven from DC. And we have Batman Catwoman number seven, written by Tom Keen and art by Liam Sharp. And yes, that still feels wrong to say. You know, it's it's hard not to hide my disappointment as to the fact Clay, Clay Man, of course, is not drawing the entirety of this series. You know, it was always one of the biggest selling points for me. We may never know the full story for why the change has been implemented, but alas, I will continue, you know, safe in the knowledge Clay's back for the last three issues at the very least. And that's not to say anything bad about Liam Sharp. You know, I think he does a great standing job here with the style. It's certainly closer to Clay's than the painted style he's been using for, say, Batman Reptilian. But the only thing with Batcat at this point, I'd say, sort of story-wise is, and stop me if you've heard this one before, it's going to read better in trade. You know, it's it's a bit of a recurring theme with Keane's work as of late. You know, we've we've discussed it with Strange Adventures and with Rorschach. He's very much a long-form storytelling. You know, there's there's a lot of skill in telling a concurrent story, utilizing three different timelines and characters at different points in their lives. But I think it'll flow much better for me when we have the entire tale in our hands. But that said, you know, I'm, I'm still enjoying the story month to month and I'm very much looking forward to uh, to Clay's return on the art for a myriad of reasons, shall we say. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yes, I mean, exciting stuff. Uh, now, I, I mean, I jumped off this uh, for this issue uh, and then uh, given one of those reasons, I've immediately jumped back on. I just, it's not, it wasn't even Liam Sharp's art, the change from, from, from Man to Sharp, but it's the story. I'm just, uh, I've sort of lost the thread of it. I'm not finding it, the stakes in it. I'm not finding it particularly compelling, um, I guess, of, of Tom Tom King's titles that are coming out. It's, it's certainly not at the top of the list for me, but I think it'll be, I think it'll be popping back on again. That's always good to hear. So yeah, Batman Catwoman number seven. So next up we have the number two of uh, a title that I believe was a pick of the week for number one. Yes, sir, and it's issue two of Scotty Young and Jorge Corona's The Me You Love in the Dark. And, you know, it's hard to describe what's going on. This is a very brave book. It's going very, very slowly. It's, uh, they're, they're really taking their time, and Jorge Corona's art is completely different from what it was in, in Middle West. Uh, but there's, you know, we've got, we've got Ro, um, an artist who's hiding out in this old house hoping for, her artistic muse to 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 
to communicate with her and there's a shadowy presence in the house that she first thought to be her muse communicating with her. There's a real darkness right below the surface and the title of the book would seem to be about Roe maybe loving this ghost in the dark that's in the house but I don't know if it's maybe the other way round and just the, the what you're seeing in the background behind Roe she can't see the ghost we can and it's terrifying <laughs> it's just you know this so this is Roe's first physical encounter with the with the, the ghost and it's just there's a, a real darkness right below the surface and uh, the fact that we know something that she doesn't uh, and yet are as drawn to the whole thing as she is is just fantastic great book it's only five issues is it yeah it's a short way run just the five issues and it's it's an interesting one in that it achieves moving really slowly but moving really quickly because it's largely dialogue free now mm. that's not to say that scotty young isn't certainly writing every single panel or what's within it or or that kind of thing but it's definitely a book to take your time with savor the details savor the atmosphere of it and yeah i agree it's 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 been great so far so again another one it's a shame it's only five issues i don't know if that's five and if it does well it'll be more or if this is just a five issue tale similar to something like lila star and that's that's the story the creators want to tell but yeah it's been pretty great so far and as we're recording this on the 5th of october issue three is out this week as well so something to look forward to there uh, another title that's out this week actually as we talk uh, <laughs> is the next issue of a certain Batman and I'm talking Batman 112 first of all from the 8th of September and this is where Fear State pretty much begins in earnest after that Fear State Alpha sort of primer issue. I do think it's important to say so this is James Tenney the fourth of course and, and Jorge Jimenez on art. I think right up front it's best to let everyone know that the first 10 pages of this issue are the same as the free comic book day title uh, for Batman. It's a brilliant way to lure in new readers, but as for us long-term readers who knew we were going to be in on this, it's a little bit frustrating that you know we'd already read a third of the issue. But, but I digress because this was fantastic. You know, I've you you'd spoke about it before in Fear State Alpha with you know the, with the Scarecrow. I've always been a fan of the Scarecrow, and it's great to see him reimagined and elevated to A-list status for this sort of swan song to Gotham from Tinian and Jimenez. So. In this issue, you know, Batman, he's managed to escape from the Scarecrow and make it back to his allies. And, you know, and they're all attempting to put a plan in place to, to stop Crane. You've got Peacekeeper 1, supposed to be the beacon of light for Simon Saint's magistrate system. He's wandering the streets, poisoned by a dose of Scarecrow's toxin. And Saint himself is on the hunt for him as well to try and clean up his mess as well. So, brilliant art, great character design and an interesting story. I think it's fair state off to a great start. Yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it next to next to Alpha. Um, so yeah, really looking forward. And and well, I'll say no more. But looking forward to, <laughs> to what's to come on this for sure. Um, so for me, uh, next up then is X Force number twenty three by uh, Ben Percy and Martin Cocolo. Uh, X-Force continues, I think, to be one of the best of the current X lineup. And, you know, it, it's it's the the dirty black ops, the uh, the national security, uh, the dark national security of, of Krakoa. And that, that's just pervaded all the way through. This issue focuses on Beast and on uh, Mikhail Rasputin, the brother of Colossus, though he has consistently sought an identity outside of being... Colossus is big brother and uh, you know there's all this statecraft and uh, going on and, and nobody's right and nobody's 
wrong. Uh, it's hard to define good and, and evil. And there's uh, so there's a lot going on between Krakoa and Russia. So it focuses on the two characters. It's nice to see Mikhail Rasputin back again. You know, the, uh, the he's all full of Russian national pride, is the same as Beast is for Krakoa. But the really interesting part of this is is, is Beast. You know, Beast has been playing in the shadows for so long that he's he's really losing a sense of himself. He's no longer the the happy-go-lucky Beast. Uh, you know, he's willing to do the the dirty things to to be the bastard, as he says. He he mutters about people missing the old beast, and it's all in the in the in the favor of Krakoa. And you know, at one point he's even fantasizing about taking Charles Xavier's place as the leader. And you almost think would beast would beast assassinate Xavier if it was best for Krakoa. I don't know. It's it's really moral morally precarious, but yeah, really really good issue as as this as every issue nearly of X Force has been. Yeah, it's going to be curious to see how all those X titles sort of deal with Hickman stepping away after I think Inferno was his swan song. I think to the Dawn of X line. Well, it's his his too early swan song. Um, that's not what was planned. Yeah. Um, but he he changed his plans at the at the last minute, and he will continue to be involved. Uh, not no longer as the head of X, but uh, I mean, there was apparently there was a. You know, an, an ex sit down quite recently, and he was very much part of it, and will continue to be uh, a, a part of the uh, the line, and and let people like Jerry Dugan are going to take forward his ideas in their own way. Yeah, like he has been doing with X Men, which obviously went back to number one. So, yeah, cool. cool. So that was X Force twenty three, and another Marvel book definitely worth talking about from this week was Conan the Barbarian number twenty five, uh, written by Jim Zub and various others. Uh, who of course has been the series regular writer and Corey Smith the regular artist and again there's other artists that I'll get to in a second with this one and you know Conan is basically the next to get the Marvel legacy numbering treatment as our favorite barbarian reaches the 300 issues milestone with this one and and they've done it with an anthology set tale and there is a heck of a lot of fun to be had here you know Jim Zub and Corey Smith as I say they continue the great work they've been doing on the main series with the the first tale we get a, a snowy winterland tale from Larry Hama and Paul Davidson, which looks absolutely glorious in its depictions of over-the-top stylized violence. My personal favorite one, and probably the one that, not, not that it would be controversial, maybe it's a bit more of an acquired taste, I don't know, but there's an amazing wordless tale from Dan Slott and Marcos Martin, and I definitely think that's going to be a story people are going to talk about. And then finally, we have a, a story from Christopher Priest and Roberto de la Torre that shows even Conan can have nightmares, believe it or not. You know, it's this is just a brilliant look at the great work Marvel's doing right now with Conan standing as both a one shot for new readers, but also a great continuation to those who have been uh, who have been enjoying the title for a while. It's great stuff. Yeah, very, very, yeah, really, really enjoyed it as well. I mean, I, I just love, I love Conan, <laughs> <laughs> and, and this issue was was absolutely no exception. It was there was so much, so much going on in it. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, for me then, uh, shifting gears to its IDW, I think. Uh, yep, IDW's Star Trek The Mirror War uh, number zero. So this, I guess, is the, the alpha issue introducing us to uh, to the uh, multi-part, um, uh, I guess, event, Star Trek event, and the first one in, in quite some time. So uh, this all takes place following the previous IDW storylines that took place in the, in the mirror universe. 
sets up the upcoming Murr War that I think starts in October. Uh, so in the Murr vs. Evil Picard leads a raid party uh, on a Cardassian transport ship to steal its technology and, and all sorts of stuff. And then he, he's attacked by a, by a mysterious assailant and following that is summoned to the, to the Emperor. But it's it's kind of it's kind of cool. The Tiptons are leaning on the brutality of the Star Trek Mirror Universe. I know you're not a Star Trek guy, so this might mean not mean a lot to you. But effectively, it's the Mirror Universe is the bizarro world of Star Trek. You know, where the good guys are the bad guys, and the bad guys are the good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, very very camp and twisty. You know, it's uh, so it's it's cool. All the all the character traits of your next generation favorites are all reversed and twisted. You know, Troy is like a sexy dominatrix inquisitor, and Riker's a pirate, and Picard's greedy and an ambitious captain who does a really good impersonation of Terry Crews in this issue, um, actually. So it's it's setting it's setting everything up, and uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Carlos Nieto is the is the artist on here, and he sort of does a great job of warping all of the all of the characters' features and making them those twisted mirror counterparts. Really looking forward to this event and and what comes because the stuff that the Tiptons have done on on Star Trek and comics recently has been fantastic. Excellent. Yeah, I'm not a massive Star Trek guy, so I don't even know if I'd even really get much from this at all. Is it one more for long-time fans, would you say? Um, it's all, I mean, it, yeah, it's always for long-time fans. You know, they'll always get more out of it, but I, I wouldn't say you couldn't, you couldn't jump on it. And mm-hmm. certainly those previous, I've got all of those previous trades. Um, I don't know. I, I've never not been a Star Trek fan, so it's hard for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> That is more than fair. And then one last one for yourself for this week. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land, number one by Zach Thompson and uh, German Garcia. Uh, so Kazar is effectively the Marvel version of Tarzan. Um, he's a, he was an English, a young English Lord who was lost in the Savage Land and, uh, you know, Kevin Plunder. And he has, uh, he, he was raised there and is now the Lord of the Savage Land. Um, so he was murdered recently in was it Empire, uh, the the Marvel crossover, and you know the the Savage Land has brought him back, but he's come back with a, a new perspective and a new new power set, um, new new abilities and new needs and, and new enemies. And there's a, an ancient evil that is resurfacing in the Savage Land, and uh, it's it's changing things there. Uh, you know, and in addition to to Kazar, we have Shanna. The she devil, his uh, his wife, and uh, their son Matthew Plunder, and uh, and as he re- he's you know teenage boys, he starts to, to reach out. But it just it just hits all the right spots, and it, it just goes beyond some of the other stuff that Marvel's doing right now. And it just by the time I was finished, it was going. I'm really enjoying this. I want more. You know, great great character, gorgeous book. Really sets the the artwork. Really sets the mood. You know, and there's there's some messages in there about deep word. You know about real world issues you know and as well as comic book superhero fun so yeah highly recommend it i've been trying to get you to pick this up for weeks <laughs> you never know i might just have to throw it in the pile tomorrow given that this is a slightly quieter week for me say slightly quieter still like 20 titles but you know that's quiet so yes yeah, so that's uh Kazar lord of the savage land number uh, one worth mentioning as well sorry alan i'm a wee bit over time in this but that's all uh this has um a lovely story at the end that's sort of uh i guess it, it's a joe Casada john amita jr story mm-hmm. uh called the four fives which marks the amazingly like the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and it sort of picks up from from 
I guess some of those stories that were done at the time by John Romita Jr. and Cassetta mm-hmm. uh, features Captain America and, and Spider Man, and I guess it's just it's just worth a look. Um, it was just a I just I find it mind blowing that 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 nine eleven was twenty years ago. Yeah, that is quite depressing, really, both the event and the amount of time that has passed, yeah, yeah. to say the least. So, But, uh, yeah, so that brings an end to the quick picks from the 8th of September. So we'll finish off again with our picks of the week. So uh, you'll not be surprised at all what Keith says, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> couldn't help myself. You really couldn't, could you? But, uh, no, for me, my pick this week was uh, an indie book from Dark Horse. And it is a title called Maze Book. So this is written and drawn by Jeff Lemire. I feel with Jeff Lemire, he's he's very much of a Marmite kind of creator, especially when he draws his creator-owned series. As he has a style that, you know, I wouldn't call it basic, but it's maybe basic in comparison to maybe more established artists in the field. But it's always a style that suits the very human stories that he tells. And he's able to also intermingle his art with a touch of the whimsical and also able to convey elements of darkness. And with May's book, this is a it's a five-issue miniseries. This was an oversized first issue. It clocks in around 50 pages. So you're getting plenty of bang for your buck with this one. But it never feels overloaded or heavy. You know, it moves along at a great pace and draws you in from page one. The main uh, crux of the story has us following Will, who's a city inspector who's just fallen into his daily routine. You know, by the end of the issue, readers discover his daughter has been missing for a decade as he either begins to show signs of dementia or some other physical illness. Or perhaps it's just been so long he's beginning to forget the details of his daughter's appearance. But that doesn't really matter at this point because the mystery begins when this average Joe's daily routine is interrupted in the middle of the night by a call from the very daughter who's been missing for 10 years. You know, there are very few supporting characters introduced in this issue with the focus being very much on Will. You know, can we trust... It, it's the old unreliable narrator uh, setup. You know, can we trust what he sees and hears? Did he really receive a phone call? Is there really a central mystery here? Or is this just a man who's never found closure from his daughter being missing? Or perhaps she died and he has never processed his grief? You know, there's so many possibilities with this story. There's also a a theme and story device of a red thread going on again, another mystery to be solved. It can be a bit of a lazy stereotype to call this Lynchian, but I'm a huge David Lynch fan. I'm going to do it anyway, you know, (laughs) due to the missing girl, the fantastical elements. You know, it echoes both the pace, the feel, the atmosphere of Twin Peaks, which again, I've talked about at length, my love for that before. And it's high up my list of books I've read this year, I would say, in terms of issue ones. Brilliant debut issue, just dripping in atmosphere, uh, so many story possibilities, and I'm very much looking forward to issue two of this. Uh, I don't think you picked this one up, did you? I, I don't know your thoughts on Jeff Lemire in general. Uh, well, given given what I recently picked up, um, you know, by Jeff Lemire. Uh, <laughs> picked up but not read. Yeah, no, well, I've read, I've read, uh, I've certainly read the first <laughs> six issues of it uh, beforehand, but no. I, uh, I enjoy Jeff Lemire as a as a writer. Uh, definitely, there has been some misses, but more hits than more hits than misses for sure. Um, I didn't pick this up. The I guess the the solicitation didn't grab me, and I've got a lot of stuff on the pull list. I'm trying to take it down instead of taking it up. But given given your your review, I might uh, I might have to pick it up, or else uh, grab it off you. I'm sure I could happily throw you my copy given all my stuff being in the store right now, uh, <laughs> close to hand. 
And just as inevitable as me picking a Tom Taylor book as a pick of the week one week, get your bingo cards ready, people. What is Keith's pick this week? I mean, I tried not to do it, but I couldn't. It's Nice House in the Lake number four. Um, nice House in the Lake is the best book DC is publishing right now, and I still struggle not to misidentify it as an image book. Do you, uh, do you seriously put it above Nightwing? Oh, that's a question. That's a question. That's a question. That's uh, it's a, they're 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 neck and neck. You know, it's very different books, and I mean, it's certainly one of the best books on the shelves. Uh, Agreed. Um, James Tinian Fourth is is crafting a fantastic, compelling, terrifying mystery. It's the best horror book that I've read in years, and when it's finished, I reckon it's going to be talked about alongside some of the biggies, the Sandman's and the V for Vendettas. Uh, Alvaro Martinez Bueno masterfully brings this word to life with these details and a style that just keeps you the reader on the edge you know beautifully detailed art that has the characters sort of coming off the page and the expressions readable you know and i think that's what really does it it's the absolute perfect synergy of writing and art that work together to create an art of that elicits what i've heard described by another reviewer as the feeling and it was just so such a such a beautiful way of describing it it elicits the feeling you get whenever you wake up in the middle of the night hearing an unexpected and unfamiliar noise in your house. You know you have to go and check it out. And while half of you is fully aware that nothing's going to hurt you, you just need to do it. And the other half of your psyche is screaming, no, run, <laughs> stay in bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, it's exactly that, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, front and center in issue four is David. Uh, David is the comedian, as you know, as all the guests are designated by their, their their role. But you know, what's a comedian whenever nobody's in the mood to laugh? You know what what use is he? You know, we learn of David's relationship to Walter very early on. I mean, that's the format of these. We we learn about the individual's relationship to Walter, how they met him, or or whatever. And then you know, in the in the present day, we watch as he explores what makes the house tick, in particular the rules of of provisioning. You know how the occupants can write down whatever they want, and it'll be delivered to the to the front door, but no one will ever see who or what delivers it. And that's as long as the requested object doesn't belie the character's best interests and isn't a living slash dead person. And this is the case with Molly, who, after tragically repeatedly trying to request her husband, who was left on the outside she she repeatedly attempts to order a razor to kill herself and and that that razor is never is never delivered and david has now taken on the role of postman delivered everybody's bits and bobs and david seems to wish sort of the best for everybody and he is capable of ordering this item and he learns something from it he uses it to undertake the comedian's other role which you know is not just to entertain but is to tell the audience harder unbelievable truths and that truth is that in addition to being trapped here together amidst the apocalypse walter will not let his friends die at least by their own by their own hand and that revelation was terrifying <laughs> it was just you know not only are they trapped in this place that seems to be a, a paradise almost with everything they could want for but they can't leave it even you know in the most basic of ways it's uh oh it was, it was fucking i was sitting reading this and i just let out a gasp and bruno was like what is wrong with you 
you know, it's the it's the dark side of of that that uh, I guess that concept of immortality that I love so much. You know, uh, very very cool stuff. What did you reckon? Yeah, another outstanding issue. Again, it's hard not to just pick it every single time and. The devil's in the details with this book. I can understand why, certainly, I've read it several times. I know you've read it several times and analyzed it even further than I have. But, you know, when you start looking at, like, all the different lists being made and you start looking, there, there's so many little details that would be so easy to gloss over. But I think we chatted about it before in the store, and there is nothing in that is in this book by accident. Everything is there by design. And, yeah, as you say, that revelation of, you know, yeah, I'm not going to let you die here either. You know, you can think you're going to get out of this somehow. You're not getting out of it. Um, yeah. And there's 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 something about that. You know, it's it's like Walter's looking after his friends despite the fact he's done this to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's there's something there that is just, God, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's twisted. Like it's yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's exercising a certain level of control over other people's lives. It's literally, as yeah. you say, he's he's created this scenario where they're all in this house based on the fact that they met him or interacted with him at some point in his life. Then it's a case of, well, I put you here, but it's okay, I'll look after you. But then he looks after them and gives them, as you say, their every heart's desire. But then it's a case of, no, no, you'll appreciate all this. You're not leaving in any way. So it's yeah. it's yeah. different on degrees of, it's, yeah, it's different degrees yeah, of control, you know. And, you know, in some ways... Uh, he loves them like pets yeah you know what i mean it's i don't know it's oh man it's dark dark stuff i can't wait to see the little dossier you're compiling on this title at some point <laughs> i'm looking forward to to reading that i can i can see you mailing that off to tinning and calling it the the nice house on the lake companion you know I've got a spreadsheet got a spreadsheet <laughs> something to look forward to but yeah i mean this is going to be a, a 10 issue series in general or in total sorry it's I'm about to break your heart right now, though, because I got an email today that we were supposed to have Nice House in the Lake number five this week, but it's been delayed until next week due to shipping issues. So uh, you'll you'll have plenty to keep you occupied, but even still, uh, a new issue of this is is always a good week. So oh yeah, thanks, Dad. So uh, yeah, that uh, that concludes the eighth of September. So pick of the week for me, May's book number one, and for Keith, Nice House in the Lake number four. May as well both be indie books. Let's be honest. Uh, as you say, you always do a double take with Nice House in the Lake that it's a DC book. But anyway, uh, so yeah, that was the 8th of September, and then we're going to finish off this week's pod with the 15th of September releases. So for me, uh, this was a 25 uh, titles total week. I had 10 DC, 2 Marvel, and 13 indie books. This is just surprising to me when I see how many Marvel you have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had a chunky, chunky week uh, this on the week of the 15th of December, September, rather. Uh, 31 titles total, uh, 10 of them DC, 10 of them Marvel, and 11 of them Indy, so fairly fairly flat across the board. Plus, I also had one deluxe hardcover omnibus and one trade paper bag. Uh, that omnibus was uh, Gideon Falls hardcover, volume one, and the trade paper bag was the Stray Dogs trade paper bag, collecting numbers one to five, which I haven't had a chance to look at yet. Yeah, don't leave that line around for Bruna to read because uh, you know there's there's some teary moments in that if you're a you're a dog lover. So mm, who's not a dog lover? Well, weird we people. Are, weird people. Yeah. Uh, they do exist. Uh, but yeah. So as ever, we'll continue with our quick pick format. Uh, why don't you kick things off by telling me a Marvel title I should be reading to uh, bump up those numbers? Yeah, absolutely should. Uh, 
We have uh, Kang the Conqueror by Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, and Carlos Magno on art. Carlos Magno on art, Alan. That should be enough. Uh, Kelly and Lansing are a duo that very much deserve watching because they're doing some some great stuff at the minute, this included. Kang the Conqueror number two uh, feels a bit like an MCU blockbuster. Uh, and I don't know if they're going to go this way, but this story... Obviously, they're introducing Kang into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and this story has a way of both introducing the character's history, but telling a story going forward as it, as it crafts a conflict across time and space between young Kang, young Nathaniel Richards, who will become Kang, and his future self. Uh, and 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 this this war is only just starting, um, and it looks like it's going to pull in a whole lot, uh, a whole lot more uh, individuals. We have. Uh, a lot of stuff taking place in in, in Egypt here, uh, with uh, with apocalypse featuring, and uh, and we've got a picture of uh, what looks like uh, Doctor Doom uh, coming up for for issue three. So, and uh, this this is a slightly different take on the uh, on the Fantastic Four first meeting meeting with Ramatot, who is himself a previous version of Kang. So yeah, really really good stuff. Such an interesting character. Um, yeah, pick up the first two issues, Alan, because it's it's a good good story, and these these two guys know how to craft a story. Well, you know there'll be more on Lansing and Kelly later, uh, in very complimentary terms as well. So I may just circle back around to that. So Kang the Conqueror number two, uh, I really really enjoyed this week. Titans United at number one. So it's written by Kevin Scott, who I believe has been doing Star Wars High Republic, if I'm not mistaken. So once again, more and more sort of intermingling of company talent, which again is great to see. And and it will be again, as I, as I mentioned there, Lansing and Kelly. But uh, yeah, this this just felt really pleasingly old school. So I should say art by Jose Luis as well, which was beautiful. Uh, you know, feeling old school, that can never be a bad thing when it comes to the Titans. You know, there's been attempts over the years to redefine them or update them or make them cool or something. It's There's just something about the Titans that is effortlessly cool, I think. And along with Teen Titans Academy, I think it's a good time to be a fan of these characters. Uh, all of the Titans are present here, you'd expect. You know, Nightwing, Starfire, Donna Troy, Jason Todd, Beast Boy, Superboy. And the writing is so good. They all sound really unique and different, true to the characters you've loved over the years. As I say, the book looks fantastic and probably along with Nightwing may actually be in with a shout of being DC's most old school colourful book. You know, plenty of hope and joy and, you know, the, the the pleasure of being a superhero, so to speak. So, yeah, great start to the series and one for, for long-time fans of the characters. You're, you're bound to have been all over this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it felt like a classic Titan story. Yeah, so Titans United, that's going to be a seven-issue miniseries in total, so that was issue one out this week. There's a familiar-looking title up next I see on our list. What could that be? Oh, <laughs> well, it's only uh, the final issue of Old Guard Tales Through Time. Uh, and this, so we've got two more stories highlighting the adventures of the Immortal Warriors. Uh, and we've got a story by, of course, uh, Vita Ayala and uh, Nicholas Scott. And then we have a story by Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez, who, of course, are our, are our old guard creators. Um, so the first story is called Many Happy Returns. It's a, at a Paris museum. There's an exhibit about the Napoleonic Wars. that, uh, And there's a particular exhibit, a doll, that prompts a memory from a mysterious patron who we recognize as Book. And in the aftermath, you know, he's been visiting every day. And in the aftermath, 
Andy and Niall devise a plan. This is obviously during Book's uh, exile from the group. They devise a plan to infiltrate the museum to receive this, to retrieve this item of special interest to him. Uh, and Andy's, you know, she's full on prepared to take down these security guards, chop them to pieces and Niall's like, hold on, there are these security guards, you know, but, uh, and, and of course it's just at the end, the, they quietly, silently gift gift book with this thing, showing there's still love between the characters despite the exile that they've they've had to to put him through. The second story uh, is is called the Bear. It's uh, about Isaac, who's a, a I guess a, a simple man, sort of living in in the woods, and every few months he comes down from the mountain to supplies, and he's got these relationships with the locals, and you know, they always look forward to seeing them, but none of them know his his secret that he is one of these immortals and uh, after he returns home he's attacked by a creature of the woods and that reveals his, his true nature as a as, as an immortal um and the creature and he form an interesting bond it's, it's a great story by of course the creators and it, it introduces a new character while keeping enough mystery to be compelling so this is a new character that we're going to see in the final arc of uh of uh of the old guard so really interesting stuff love this book from start to finish yeah and again trade collection is on the way soon so you can get your old guard fixed they're working on the second movie i believe the first one did really well for netflix and uh as greg ruck has always said he always had a trilogy in mind so that third proper book as opposed to these sort of anthology tales will be uh no doubt announced very very soon so Next up for me is Batman Urban Legends number seven. Various writers and artists are uh, are involved with this. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't actually know if I was going to stick with Urban Legends after the excellent six issues that Arsky, you know, Jason Todd Batman arc was finished. And I'm also about to shock Keith right now. I'm not the biggest fount of knowledge when it comes to Batman Beyond, you mm-hmm. know, but... If this was any indication to go by, I'll was, I will certainly be looking more into the adventures of Terry McGuinness. You know, the undoubted standout of this issue is the opening story written by, it all comes full circle, Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly. And the <laughs> art is by Max Dunbar. You know, the, the setup for this is Bruce Wayne has been mysteriously murdered and it is now time for Terry to step up, take on the mantle of the bat fully and solve the murder of his mentor. You know, the biggest compliment I can give this issue, given the amount of narration, is that it it, it had Frank Miller-type vibes to it. You know, and for this Dark Knight Returns mega fan, that is not a bad thing. You know, this is this is essentially the, the primer for a brand new series that's going to kick off next year for Batman Beyond, I believe, in March of next year. And I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, there were other stories in here as well that were entertaining enough, you know, with the Batman 666 being the standout for me as again, I'm a, I'm a fan of that Grant Morrison, uh, scenario. And it seems that from here on in urban legends, I think DC have solicited it in a way where they've said it's going to be one shot stories. It's not going to be six issue arcs or, or bits and pieces. It's going to be one shots every time. So, uh, but yeah, I thought this was fantastic and you know, you, you must've got a real kick out of the Batman beyond stuff. Uh, yeah, I really did. I really did. Got me really excited for what's coming. As you know, huge fan of that, of that character as I am, Spider-Man 2099 when he's done well, um, and the the Batman of the Future animated series, which was a great follow up to the animated the Batman the animated series. Um, but yeah, I really really enjoyed this and really looking. It's got me really anticipating the new Batman Beyond series. Yeah, brilliant stuff. So it was. So yeah, that was Batman Urban Legends number seven. So. 
Well, at least now you can talk about a Marvel title that, despite my paltry talk this week, is one that I actually read. Well, good for you. We should have let you do this one. Um, <laughs> this is Fantastic Four Life Story number four, the 90s. So, you know, the, the, the story shifts every 10 years. Every every issue shifts 10 years, so we're focusing on the 90s. And at, at the same time, it delivers a great uh, Ben Grimm, the Thing character piece. Um, and, and the story sort of goes some crazy places, despite... You know the death of of Johnny Storm, the tragic death of Johnny Storm at the end of the at the end of the eighties. It's sort of fairly upbeat. Uh, you know the nineteen nineties fashion and start doing some cool things and Wakanda and the African Alliance. You know the, the word, word seems to be coming together as Wakanda and the African Alliance create a vaccine for for the AIDS plague and you know Tony Stark is cutting off global warming in its infancy. But all the while we've got Galactus. In the background, you know, we've got a slightly older Fantastic Four. In fact, there's a moment where, you know, Reed wakes up in the morning and you see what his face really looks like, you know. Now he's, you know, in his 60s or 70s and then he pulls it together <laughs> using his elastic powers. Um, but yeah, some really, really cool stuff here. Uh, some background stuff about, you know, Ben and, and, and Reed and, and Franklin's in here getting married and, and all the while Galactus is in the, is in the background. And of course, the first appearance of the silver surfer the uh the the the, the harbinger of, of galactus yeah i'm really really enjoying this series i i think it's uh, a great introduction to the world of the fantastic four the only thing i would say about it is that i'm starting to think galactus is waiting for the fantastic four to die of old age before actually attacking earth because he's been a background threat for 40 years now yeah is he ever going to make a move <laughs> Well, you know, and, and the tragic thing about that is for 40 years, Reed has dedicated his life to trying to defend against this this threat. But meanwhile, his his actual life has, fallen has to pieces. Uh, gone to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it is a really, really good read. It always goes uh, quite high on the top of my pile when it comes out of new issues. So just the two of that to go as it follows the same six issue format that uh, benefited Spider-Man life story so well. Uh, we move from there to DC, and I almost feel like I should just cut and paste from last month's review, to be honest. Uh, Rorschach number 12, uh, Tom Keen on writing, Jorge Fornes on art. This is going to be the quickest uh, quick pick review ever. You know, it's just one of the best series of and comics of recent times. It's a slow-burning political conspiracy thriller, unbelievable art all the way through, excellent storytelling, and most importantly, for any series, it nails the landing. You know, just do yourself a favor and treat yourself to this book when it comes out in its collected edition. That, that, that's all I need to say. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's going to read really well in collected edition. Yeah. Another potential future book club book that I think. Uh, yep. I think definitely will be uh, indulging in Rorschach when it does hit that collected trade. So that was Rorschach number 12. What have we got next? Uh, at, at the end of another arc, I believe. Yeah, the end of the second arc of, uh, again, James Tinian and Michael Dialinus's Wind. So this is issue 10. As it finishes the second arc, opens in the ruins of the fairy city of Escalion as the fairy leader directs the the fairies to save the wounded and protect the trees but you know thorn who's badly injured is the least of his concern a tide is turned on our on our characters you know the the kids and uh, it's all going pear shape wind isn't with them he's been taken up to a large nest by these two dark flying creatures not unlike the creature that he had nightmare of becoming in the very first issue of all so long ago last year and uh, he you know so it, it's all coming back around and meanwhile Yorick and Mariel have been captured by the vampires and there's a whole lot of politicking going on around 
Northport and, and, and Lord Nemo. And then, yeah, it seems like Wind's Nightmares sort of come to fruition and uh, and that. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just it's been such a great sort of fantasy epic. It's a double-sized issue, you know, loads of great art. Michael Dealinus' art is just phenomenal and so much of uh, Tinian's imagination in this in a way that, so it's so different from what he's putting into a nice house in the lake or Batman or, or or anything, you know. So it's hard to tell. It's the same. It's the same author, really, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're you're talking about a guy that writes Department of Truth as well. You know, dark conspiracy stuff, dark horror, and something yep. that's killing the children. And of course, there's a lot of darkness too. Wind as well, but it is very much an all ages fantasy epic. So it's it's great to see him stretch his creative muscles like that. But it's it's arguably just as good as those other books, just exceptionally different absolutely i mean here it is another one for the bingo card the world building is phenomenal um you know it's there's they've gone through into this really deep history of of the world and and there's a lot of characters he's balancing and there's a lot of intrigue and as you say there is a there is a darkness and those characters as well there's been growth and change so a great final chapter to the arc and i'm looking forward to it coming back already excellent win number 10 and from the end of an arc to the start of a brand new title and Primordial number one is next up, and this is written by Jeff Lemire, him again, and uh, mm-hmm. art by Andreas Sorrentino. So you'd mentioned Gideon Falls before you'd picked up the uh, the hardcover this week. Well, here we're back in the land of Gideon Falls. You know, these two guys collaborated on that wonderful title, and they're back for Primordial number one, which is going to be a six-issue miniseries, and once again, it's off to a great start, you know. We do love our alternate history takes at Coffee and Heroes, I have to say, so... You know, the, the crux of this one is 1957, Russia launched the dog Laika into Earth's orbit. Two years later, the USA responded with two monkeys, Abel and Baker. These animals never returned, but unbeknownst to everyone, they did not die in orbit. They were taken and now they're coming home. So this, you can tell this is an Image Comics title. You know, this sits perfectly beside Tinian and Simmons' Department of Truth in that it taps into people's love and fascination with conspiracy theories and what-if stories. You know, just like Department of Truth, this is vibrantly beautiful and unique looking book. You know, Sorrentino is one of those artists, I think, that has a style very much his own and it's it's captivating. And his, his art is actually stuffed with hints and clues and Easter eggs. You know, if you pay attention and actually break it down, I think there's going to be a title to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, the, the intrigue, the X-Files-ness of it all. Um yeah, there was there was definitely. I uh, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, primordial number one there, and now we're back into the uh, almost monthly attempt by Keith to get me to read Iron Man. You know what? It's it's not even an attempt to get you to read Iron Man. It's just because it's such a bloody <laughs> fantastic book. Um, it's just it's so good. It's a a, a tour de force. Uh, I've never seen Iron Man better. Really, <laughs> this book gets better and better by every issue. You know, your words get more and more. You know. <laughs> complimentary it's a, it's it's a thrill ride uh you know by christopher cantwell and uh, angel Nzueta. and you know so many deep layers of of character work uh that it, that's the real trick of this um bringing tony stark back to basics you know exploring a man struggling to deal with his past and to shed his ego at the same time he's going up against korvac who's doing the opposite and trying to become a god um, this issue has us has Tony leaving the false paradise that he had found and uh, on Galactus's starship. Uh, and actually on Twitter, Christopher Campbell 
compared this issue to Home Alone with Tony and Avro X being the bandits to the booby trap loving Galactus. Uh, well, wait, wait, wait. You never well, compared this book to Home Alone before. Now you have my attention. <laughs> there you are. There you are. Um, the art is as excellent as ever. There's some fantastic character moments. This is just, it's just unbelievable. It's, 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 I'm just going to, whenever this comes to an end, I'm just going to buy you the trade and <laughs> throw it at you. Um, it's just such a good, good book. That's a way to get someone to read something, physically harm them by throwing a heavy book at their face. <laughs> That's the way to do it. It would certainly make an impression on me that way, if nothing else. So, uh, uh-huh. Iron Man, I mean, is there any sort of um, length of time Iron Man's going to be going on for? Do you know? Is it a mini series, maxi series, ongoing until told otherwise? That this wasn't like the last issue or anything, was it? No, 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 by no means, by no stretch of the imagination was this the last issue. Um, no, there's a, there's a lot going on. Um, it, next issue is an epic showdown uh, between Iron Man and his allies, allies and Korvac and his cohorts uh, aboard the, the starship, but I don't know that it's the end. Uh, I think we've seen it continue to be solicited. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm just having a wee look right now just to see Iron Man 15 previews were that's as far as it can go. December 15th, 2021. Jeez, that's some cover. Um... Oof, that is a really nice cover. I'm not going to ruin what's on it because I think that's probably spoilers for uh, story elements, which I'm not Maybe reading it's... at this point. I don't want to ruin for you. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so from one number 12 to another number 12, and this time it is Seven Secrets number 12. So once again, our monthly check-in to the world of Seven Secrets. <laughs> Tom Taylor, Daniel DiNiculo, you know the you know the story at this point, you know, and it, it continues to be as fun, entertaining, and beautiful as every other month. You know, it's... You know, stakes are continuing to rise, loyalties are being tested and switched all over the place, but this issue actually did stand out for me quite a bit because we actually get a look into the past of some of our principal characters, and maybe the good guys aren't so good, maybe the bad guys aren't so bad, you know, this is, as ever I think Tom Taylor's a deft hand at character development, and things not always being presented as black and white, you know, there's, you feel yourself sympathizing with certain characters in this issue that maybe before knowing their past you would have thought there was no way you would ever sort of you know feel anything like that for them so you know this marks the end of the the second story arc and again it'll be hitting trade paperback soon you know get on it when you can as this series shows no sign of slowing down either in terms of plot or or indeed quality just another thoroughly brilliant issue of this title and and again continues to be one of boom's best for me very cool um for me i am venturing back to uh, green village uh, Aftershocks uh, Campisi, The Dragon Incident, number two, by uh, James Patrick and Marco Lucati. So a dragon has flown into Green Village with an ultimatum, and that neighborhood is run by the mob, and so it needs handled very carefully in a certain way so as not to attract attention. And that means uh, it's Sonny Campisi's problem. Campisi is, uh, I guess, the, an operator. He's a, he's a go-to guy. He's the, the neighborhood liaison with the mob. But as he's trying to fix it, one thing after another happens, and you know he sits sits down for a chat with the dragon. The dragon, as he says, as he tells the dragon to his face, turns out to be a bit of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean the the first installment of this was really good fun, um, and the second the second is is no less so. Uh, you know they're they're trying to cover the mob are trying to cover the dragon being in Green Village. Uh, you know, everybody outside just thinks it's a gas leak. There's lots of secrets in this wee place to be protected. And uh, yeah, just it's just 
there's a there's also a a density to the to the word that has been weaved here uh you know by by james by james patrick and the, the history and what what happened in the in the past that has left the dragons and the with the, this feeling towards humanity that they have uh and 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 why in particular the dragon has has targeted green village so yeah i think this i'm really enjoying this another another good one from from aftershock yeah i must maybe grab those issues off you it's uh aftershock are notorious for not doing second printings of anything and uh I didn't manage to get myself a copy of number one of this, despite owning a comic store. Uh-huh. And one last one to finish off with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, John Lehman, uh, famous for what, Alan? Chew, amongst Chew, other things. Indeed. Yeah, but uh, in particular, we had, a, we had the pleasure of, uh, of chatting to him some months back. Uh, so Bermuda uh, is John Lehman and Nick Bradshaw from IDW Publishing um it's a it's a real quirky uh title um we have had uh, two uh i guess survivors have have crashed on bermuda which appears to be a mysterious island that's not within our our dimension and you know their their the rich father is looking for them you know on the other side of the dimensional portal and uh, meanwhile, Bermuda must get to the North Shore. The island's called Triangle. She must get to the North Shore Triangle to try and rescue uh, this kid's sister who's been captured by uh, like lizard people who are trying to who undertake blood magic. And uh, it's just, it's just really, it's really good stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's all splash pages and, and, and bright art and, you know, comic drama and, uh, you know, we start we start with a trip back in time as has has become the format of this series. You know, at this time we're back in 1982, and a and a, I think it's a Japanese submarine operation, and uh, we know one of the crew. We recognise him very early on as Doctor Knack, who is the present day mentor mentor for 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 Bermuda, who's a fantastic heroine, and uh, so all these characters we figure out how they came to this. I guess this island. I guess it's, it's something similar that it's. It's just such a two-fisted, rip-roaring tale. <laughs> it's uh, an adventure story, sort of, I guess, Tarzan-like, Kong, King Kong-like, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great stuff. Are you reading it? Yeah, I'm reading it as well. I think it's one of those, imi- uh, sorry, it's not an image title, it's IDW. Um, I think it's one of those titles that's similar to something like Saga that should maybe put the artist's name first because... The art in this book is amazing, as you say. Loads of splash pages, tons of detail in the background, a massive cast of characters, mm-hmm. bright colors. It's, I mean, this book must be Nirvana for you. Here's another bingo card one: clean lines the whole way through. <laughs> oh, absolutely, clean lines. It's, uh, yeah, the the art is the art's fantastic, but there's so much going on in the background of every panel. Yeah, it's so rich. You know, there's only one issue that's left. Yeah, uh, and. You know, it feels like we've hardly explored the island and hardly explored the the mechanics of the island, or and and it seems like a world that's got, you know, a hundred more stories to tell. Yeah, so, I wouldn't be sad if this came back for a second volume. Even down to the fact, like the map on the back of the the comic yeah. as well, and and again, there's there's clearly tons of thought and love has went into this, and you know, how issue three ends definitely does feel like a cliffhanger for a third act. Don't get me wrong, but. 
yeah there's there's tons of directions you could go in with this so i really hope that it's not a four issue and done i hope it's a four issue done really well and here's volume two thank you very much so yeah that would be nice that yeah would be nice. very much so so bermuda number three rounds out the quick picks from 15th of september so to finish off the pod for this week we're just gonna do our picks of the week from 15th of september and for me we're well we're both reverting back to type here I'm DC, Keith Marvel. So DC for me is I Am Batman number one, featuring art by Olivier Coppel. That's it. That's the review. (laughs) Okay, I'll say some more. So yeah, it's written by John Ridley. And as I say, art by Olivier Coppel. I mean, this book is stunning. Uh, Olivier Coppel is one of my favorite artists. Doesn't do enough art for my liking, but that's just because it's so uber detailed in class. I mean, it's one of the reasons I love Magic Order number one so much. The art in that is incredible. And in this, he delivers a masterclass in visual storytelling, scene construction, action, character work, and layouts. You know, that was my first takeaway from this book. But I went back and read it again, and and I'm happy to report the writing and storytelling are a match for the wonderful visuals. You know, there's there's a lot of cool ideas at play in this book that help it stand out from the sheer volume of bat titles available at the moment. So with Am Batman, we're following Jace Fox as he steps into the mantle of the bat in the wake of Bruce Wayne's apparent death. Obviously, we know better based on all the future state stuff. But with this, with him taking over as Batman, he decides to take Batman very much back to basics in this. You know, he's breaking up petty crimes he's reminding criminals that he's there by being visibly seen instead of staying in the shadows all the time i mean he even talks to people this is such a novel concept you know he's reassuring them at times you know bruce never really was a people person but like in this jace wants to connect with the people of the city there's this great wee scene where he's uh he's on the bike going down this alleyway and he sees these two graffiti artists uh who are putting up this tag on the side of a building and he actually compliments their work, but then sort of goes, oh, but please respect people's property, though. You know, he, he wants people to be back on Batman's side, if, if that makes sense, as much as a vigilante can be, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, there's just there's so much to like in this issue. And I did find out just before we came on to record, you know, thankfully the writing is strong because Copel's only doing this one issue. Duh. So you may savor it. Uh, thankfully, it's a great replacement. You know, it's Steven Segovia and Art, but it's... It's hard not to be wanting Copel to stick around for a little longer, such as his skill as an artist in this. But, uh, but yeah, this is a title definitely worth sticking around for, just if for no other reason, and it feels very different from the other bad titles, and and that definitely can't be a bad thing. Definitely not. Uh, yeah, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this, but I've I've been enjoying John Ridley's take on on uh, Jace Fox's Batman for I guess since Future State. Yeah, Future State, the next Batman, then we had I Am Batman. And then, of course, mm-hmm. we've got this as well. Uh, sorry, no, then we had the next Batman, Second Son, I beg your pardon. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then we have I Am Batman. So, yeah, I'm the same. I, I think what Ridley's doing is really interesting. I think that it's it's not as if it's trying to set up a, this is what it should be instead of Bruce Wayne, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's just a different way of telling it without replacing those elements. So Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it's doable. It's I mean, we've shown it's doable by having... You know, both Peter Parker Spider-Man and, and Miles Morales Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Your, your flagship character can have two iterations. Um, Soon to be a know. third iteration, though. Mm, quite. Well, <laughs> uh, hopefully a third, because things aren't looking good for Peter. Uh, but, yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying this. Uh, thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah. And I'm interested in how this is going to play into Fear State as well. 
Yeah, very much so. So, yeah, that is my pick for 15th of September. I am Batman number one. Then why don't you finish the week off then with your final pick? Yeah, it was it was the only the only pick that I could make from this week. I, I, I mean, and, and the quality of it was was outstanding. And that is uh, the 60 year celebration of Marvel's first family in Fantastic Four number 35, uh, which I think is Legacy 680. Something along those lines. Uh, Dan Slott is the current writer in Fantastic Four. He's been doing some good work. The art is primarily by John Romita Jr. And it's great to see him back in Fantastic Four, back at Marvel doing this. Uh, J.P. Mayer, Scott Hanna, Cam Smith, Raphael Fonterez, and Mark Morales. Um, It's a big, chunky, chunky book with a fantastic cover. And it's a... The only way you you can, I guess, look back at the the fantastic force 60 years and pay tribute is to literally go back to those years so that's exactly what they do here fantastic four are returning home from dr doom's wedding debacle uh with uh, the human torch is in a really bad way johnny has been uh oversaturated by cosmic rays by dr doom and he's full nova flame and he's unable to flame off uh as as revenge for Johnny going to bed with uh, with Doom's uh, prospective wife, Victorious. They arrive at the Baxter building. Uh, Johnny's encased in, a, in one of Sue's force fields, but she's having trouble holding holding the heat back. And they're confronted immediately by a by a new a new mystery in the all new Baxter building. There's a, an object, a strange object, is planted in their home by means of some sort of uh, time travel technology, as Reed quickly understands. And as as he sort of ponders this, we get a look. At something else outside of time uh you know ramatot the pharaoh of the future the the first iteration of kang we've already talked about kang this week um so there's a lot of kang going on at, at his home at the at the uh um oh i can't even remember where he lives but anyway he's there with with immortus uh the master of time who is kang's oldest iteration to date alongside the Scarlet Centurion, another iteration of Kang, and Kang the Conqueror himself. Um, they're all the same person from different points in that character's timeline. And uh, in addition then, there's another individual appears, someone called the Scion, who is like Kang's final form, someone we've never seen before. But anyway, um, in order to prove... Yeah, in order to prove, I guess, who's best, effectively, they, they all agree to go and eliminate, try and eliminate the Fantastic Four, and uh, and this is this is all part of this purpose. So uh, we now have four different stories throughout the Fantastic Four's timeline throughout this book, as each iteration of Kang attempts to uh, attempts to prove themselves the greatest heir of Nathaniel Richards, uh, and uh, and um, you know attack the Fantastic Four, and it's great each section has like a mock cover from that particular era, you know, so so the Ramatot is the first to is the first to attack and we have a you know an early Fantastic Four cover with the faces in the corner and the logo and then, you know, the next one is slightly the Scarlet Centurion is for slightly further on in time and it's got a slightly more up to date, you know, nineteen ninety three Fantastic Four style cover. And then it just goes it goes like that all the way through. We have a you know, then we have a a 90s or a, an early 2000s future foundation cover with the white uniforms and and uh, and then last of all we have a much more up-to-date uh cover uh so it's just it's so well presented and the story 
the story comes back round as the, the scion is revealed to be Reed Richards himself, who is also a descendant of Nathaniel Richards. And uh, it all, you know, it all, it all sort of comes back round. But the, the action is fantastic. The, the way that, I guess, Reed Gallers versions, members of the Fantastic Four from across time. And, and it, it's just, it's just such a lovely, um, a lovely tribute to the Fantastic Four, say to the first family of various members of the, and, and also a look back, you know, the Thunderbolts appear in there, which is always great, you know, and, and it just, it just was a, just was a lovely issue, you know, and then fully assembled then the, the, the prize that, that all of the Rama, all of the, the Kangs were trying to, to get ends up playing a holographic message, which it's, it's from the late Nathaniel, uh, Reed Richards father and, and also, um, ancestor of Kang expressing his regret about his absenteeism as a father and revealing that he also has a daughter so Rita has a sister that he didn't know about so this is so this will obviously scoot off on the Fantastic Four's new mission to track down this mysterious member of the family um and it's just it's so good that that just reminds you what the Fantastic Four is all about which is which is family um and a great well-imagined story by by Dan Slott uh and, and, and a startling ending so very very good stuff just really enjoyed it uh something very very different for the fantastic four but absolutely you know with all the themes and the that that, that just make the fantastic four the heart of the marvel universe bit of a jumping on point would you say uh yeah you could you could do it you could do it that way for sure yeah i i would say so it's a jumping on point that that takes you back through history a wee bit and uh and yeah and, and john romita jr all the beauty and style that he brings to to this issue just uh, you know what the, what he brings to this issue could feed like 10 comic books it's absolutely absolutely phenomenal absolutely phenomenal artist yeah i've still got one of these actually left in the store and uh it's a john romita jr variant actually so maybe i might just have to nab yeah. that for myself and, and give it a go I've, yeah, I mean, Fantastic Four, I don't know, it's it's always been one of those things I've wanted to get into a bit more. It just didn't grab me at the very, very start, and, you know, I, I love Dan Slott, I'm a big, big fan, and I thought he would be the guy that got me into Fantastic Four, but it just didn't grab me. Maybe I need to go and give it another chance, maybe once I've, maybe. Maybe once I've read these 49 issues of Immortal Hulk in anticipation of issue 50 coming out, I can go back and read 35 issues yeah, of Fantastic Four. Uh... Yeah, I mean it's yeah. I think this 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 does it well. Pick up this, and then you'll probably want to go and pick up the Bride of Doom. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Stories, you know, and certainly the issue that follows. It's very poignant. But this is one, you know, it's a tri- a tribute and one sixty-page story that absolutely captures the spirit of the Fantastic Four. It's fun. It's great to look at. It's probably one of the the best things Marvel has done in in, in twenty twenty one so far. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very very well done. Total love letter, like. Yeah, which is exactly what you want for any sort of yeah. celebratory issue. It's it's a reminder of why these characters have endured for so long, so it should really be a love letter to them. So, uh, yeah, no, I'll maybe nab that for myself tomorrow. So I have to grab that, and I have to grab Kang the Conqueror. Still not grabbing Iron Man, no, I'm waiting for you to throw that at me. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that, uh, that concludes the 15th of September then. So, picks of the week, I am Batman number one for myself and Fantastic Four 
35 for Keith, which of course was the celebration of 60 years of Marvel's first family. So there you go. There is a very quick, well, I say very quick, but an hour and a half overview of uh, three weeks in September. Uh, we'll be aiming to do another one of these hopefully in the next week or so, uh, which will bring us pretty much up to date. And then we can try and get back to our more weekly format is, uh, is I think, the aim. Uh, certainly once Keith gets moved as well and gets set up in his brand new home, he'll have his... He'll want to sit in this podcasting room every single night, I'm sure. Yeah, well, wireless, wireless is the trick. Internet, internet <laughs> needs to needs to move into the house before I do. And what's the date for that? <laughs> uh, I think we're we're getting it we're getting it sorted, so we're not moving for another couple of weeks. So uh, it'll be it'll be before that. Excellent, excellent. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, again, any books that uh, catch your, capture your imagination or you, you like the sound of getting into, just drop us a message or come in the store, have a chat with us. We can certainly guide you whether it's best to jump into single issues or, or maybe worth waiting out for those trades and so forth to come out. So let us know how you did in your bingo cards this week um you know maybe i would i would share that you can probably get it on the facebook can you yeah i shared it through our social media channels just as a bit of a laugh as i say i was it, it certainly gave me a chuckle and i could imagine both of us saying pretty much every single thing on it. <laughs> you know, so. the other thing is if you like these rapid review format you know the rapid fire reviews let us know and uh you know what what, what the preference is what you prefer to listen to Yep, no worries at all. So again, hope you guys enjoyed this. I'll look forward to seeing you in store very, very soon. And I look forward to seeing you in store, sir, tomorrow for the first time on New Comic Book Day in a few weeks. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.